Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We begin another week, officially playoff time now. I know some of you had them going last week, but officially time. Officially time for the playoffs now on the head-to-head side. Which, by the way, I continue to loathe. I hate, I hate these head-to-head leagues. They make me want to cry. I hate them so much. I'll tell you why I hate them. Not all that long. I'm not going to go into a long pre-real show rant. But it just... So, like, I know you can think about these things and... You just, like, the luck of the draw of it is just so obnoxious that last week, of all the weeks, you know, the opponent I've got has two guys on his team that have been injured for, like, two months, and they all come back at the same time. And at the same moment, I have three of my guys that go day-to-day, so I can't put any of them in an injured slot. And on the same week that Darius Garland only has two games, uh, and on the same week that... Uh, Trey Young only has three games. And so it's just these things come together at the wrong time, and it always happens that way in head-to-head. Always. If you're in a competitive one, you're not going to run away from anybody. It's just, oh, God, it's the worst. (sighs) Drives me crazy. Well, in any event, we're in them. We're all in them together at this point, whether you like it or not. And I know most of you are in head-to-head leagues. I'm learning that there's actually been kind of an uptick in points leagues lately, which we'll try to make sure that we touch upon that a little more on the show. And I think I have been. I still don't like them. I feel like it kind of oversimplifies things. But, you know, we'll touch on it. Anyway, we got a whole bunch of things to do today. We have a whole bunch of things. I got a weekend to review We've got a streaming calendar to go forward on because every show now is basically going to be like two little pockets of show rolled together at the same time. We'll have the what happened yesterday, uh, and then we'll have the how do we set up our streaming board. So let's just dive on in. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespers, at Dan Bespers on Twitter. If your fault, if Twitter's working, I think it's broken today. Twitter's broken today. I'm told that apparently people can't see links or videos or something like that. So thank you to everybody that found a way to locate this show, whether it's the recorded pod or the live YouTube stream, because uh, I guess traditional links are not really happening right now on social media. So uh, much appreciated. Which, I, I say, follow me over there, and then it disappears. The other thing I would say, then, it, with that in mind, is we do still have an ethos, Sports Ethos Discord available. Uh, and there is a free side to it now, where, like, if things are broken on Twitter the way they are this morning, you can at least get our stuff over there in the Ethos Discord. There, the link is in the description of the podcast. So uh, just click on that, you pop right in, and, and then we can all hang out together. Let's talk about the weekend. Phoenix was at Dallas. They got a nice win on the road, shot 55%. I am kind of hard-pressed to see a scenario where the Suns don't shoot 50% in a ball game these days. They just have a ridiculous level of firepower between Booker and Durant. 
You're talking about basically a team like KD and Kyrie. Kyrie probably a little bit better than Devin Booker, but, you know, a little bit wackier than Devin Booker. So you put those two dudes together. That's great. We saw the Nets were winning a lot of ballgames with that. And then you throw on top of it that the Suns have one of the best ball-distributing point guards in the history of the NBA. Uh, These guys are just going to get shots where they want every time down the floor. And then an offensively skilled big man. Now, Aiton probably not as good defensively as Nick Claxton has become this year. But damn, this team is a freight train on offense. And uh, enjoy it. Fantasy-wise, Josh Okogie, nine points, two steals. It does feel like his tapering is probably underway. I know every time we say that, then he has a decent ball game to follow it out. It just it feels like he's in a place now where it's going to be about 50% of the time he has good fantasy games and 50% blech like this one. And that's generally not enough if you're looking at the games cap side. And then there's sort of two ways to look at every player this time of year. Would he fall into the bucket of schedule streams? Yeah, I think he, you could make that argument. Does Phoenix have any kind of scheduling spot coming up? Certainly not this week. Suns actually have kind of a clunker playoff schedule overall anyway. So do with that as you see fit. Dallas, more big games from Luka and Kyrie. They're starting to figure things out together now. Uh, Tim Hardaway got hot, but you can ignore that. Reggie Bullock is playing huge minutes, which you you can't really ignore. He actually makes sense as a schedule stream, but the Mavs also have kind of a bad schedule, and I don't like any of those dudes for Roto. Christian Wood, he's just a low-to-mid-20s minutes guy now. Probably a top 100 fantasy play. Again, does that play for you? Probably, but more barely than anything else. And I don't know. It's not like there's a... a schadenfreude going on here you don't root for someone to fail in fantasy but if you are low on them coming into the year which we were on christian wood first of all you have to be ready to make adjustments and there was a stretch in there where he went crazy for about a month straight but now he's settled back down he's number 73 and he's an overdraft again could that turn around between now and the end of the year possibly maxi klebo was back out for this ball game but it just doesn't feel like it's gonna Indy beat Chicago again. The Bulls have so much trouble with the Pacers. Bulls have trouble with a lot of things. Chicago is the 12 seed now. They're a game and a half back of the Wizards. They're going to keep fighting, but the Bulls and then the Pacers, who are also a game and a half back, are those two teams where you're looking at it, you're like, could they fall far enough that they start to play the youths a little bit more? It's a possibility. We're not nearly there yet on March the 6th. we still got a month of the season left. Five weeks, actually. But, you know, two weeks left to go, maybe. That's something that creeps in. Just keep an eye on it. And that's really all there is, because those are the two teams that played each other in this ballgame. And if that happened, you'd start to look at guys like Patrick Williams, you know, if someone like a DeRozan or a Zach Levine got some games off. We know Alex Caruso played really well when those guys were resting before. Patrick Beverly... Would he want to play through such a mini shutdown? It's hard to say. And on the Pacers' side, if Halliburton gets a game off, you know you've got TJ McConnell waiting in the wings. If Miles Turner gets a game off, you've got Isaiah Jackson waiting in the wings. So there's these really interesting backups on the Indy side. But we ain't there yet, so, you know, whatever. Lakers. Uh, I'd like to say I don't know how they did it, but they did it with defensive effort. 
which is something that had been severely lacking on this team for heavy parts of the year. Jared Vanderbilt only played 24 minutes uh, and was a plus 25. I'd like to say it was a weird decision to not give him more fourth quarter minutes, but there was actually a unit on the floor for the Lakers that was playing relatively well. Austin Reeves, AD, Troy Brown, Schroeder, and Beasley, I think, were the five on the floor at that point. And I'd love to give Darvin Ham a hard time because overall in the ballgame, Schroeder did not have a great one, but he actually did play better in the fourth quarter. And Beasley had a big shot in there, and Reeves was excellent, and Troy Brown was great the whole game through, and then obviously Anthony Davis, if he's upright, he's in there. So it wasn't that clear which of those dudes you could have yanked out of the game in that moment to get Vanderbilt back in, and so that's why he stayed on the bench. Now, if there was even a, a not even a prolonged stretch, but a, like a mini stretch of the Warriors looking like they were starting to turn the tide, I think you would have seen Vandal come back in. It just didn't really happen, and so he popped back on the floor for like the last two minutes when they were playing more prevent defense. Just don't give the wide-open threes to the guys who always hit the wide-open threes. Uh, and it worked. Warriors shot just 40%. AD near the rim is always a pretty good deterrent. Mo Bamba turned an ankle in this game, which means now Wendy Gabriel is going to get the backup center minutes, but that shouldn't really change the way you were approaching things anyway. For the Lakers, they're hoping to have D'Angelo Russell back tomorrow. We haven't had any update on him today. He was ruled out relatively early for the game yesterday. Even though reports keep surfacing, that's like, oh, Darvin hopes to have him back for their next ball game, and you know, then he's ruled out 24 hours in advance. So I, I don't know which side is real. If Russell is back, Reeves, Schroeder take huge hits. Beasley takes a medium-sized hit. Uh, and then Troy Brown probably also takes a hit, although you know, for him, it, you're not really playing him anyway. Right now, he's on kind of a little mini three-point shooting heater. Vanderbilt's the one guy in that mix that doesn't really get impacted until LeBron comes back, which I know he's been out a week already. It feels like the whole like three-week timeline is probably on the short side. I think Shams actually had a, a video clip this morning that did work on Twitter. Who knows? where he said he thought LeBron was going to be out for more than three weeks, which I think we all assumed was going to be the case because it was like, oh, yeah, he'll be out at least three weeks, which means three is the bare minimum, and old dudes typically don't come back right at the bare minimum. Now, if Russell misses another ball game, Lakers have the Grizzlies coming up. They're a ball-hawking team. That makes it a little tougher on Austin Reeves. We know that his handles are not as good as, you know, Schroeder. Um... The Grizzlies are a pretty damn good team defensively. Tyus Jones is an excellent fill-in for John Morant. We'll talk about him in a minute. Do I start those guys? I would start Vanderbilt. Uh, but look, this is what you wanted at him. 10 points, 13 boards, 4 assists, a steal. This is a great ball game. And he could have easily gotten another 3 or 4 minutes if the Lakers played any worse in the 4th quarter. Anyway, we can approach that to tomorrow when we get an update on Russell. On the Warriors' side, Steph Curry's back. He played 32 minutes in his return he had a brilliant fourth quarter, but it wasn't enough. Too little too late for the Dubs, who's the starting unit pretty much got punked in that ballgame yesterday, aside from Draymond and DiVincenzo, who played some... They had some units with bench guys, and, and those are the units that made runs for the Dubs. Uh, no real news on the Warriors' side. Dante still good enough while Andrew Wiggins is out. He's someone I would consider benching when Wiggins comes back, but that hasn't happened yet. 
And then, you know, can Jordan Poole keep the efficiency level up where it needs to be? The answer in this ballgame was no. Lakers did a really good job chasing guys off of screens all game long. But I think in general, the answer is probably yes. Charlotte only lost this game by 16 points, but it really wasn't that close. Brooklyn went up huge early and then just kind of coasted to the finish line. The good news is that Charlotte made a little run, and that allowed both teams to get their starters back in late. So you got that bonus fantasy punch right at the tail end of this thing. Zero surprises on the Brooklyn side. Mikhail Bridges, 33-8-2 with a block and two three-pointers. His efficiency's been crazy good. He'll have a little bit of a cooling at some point in here, but I do think it's worth pointing out that since the trade, Bridges is a first-rounder. 26.5 points, 6 boards, 3.5 assists, a steal, almost a block, 2.5 threes on 55-90 splits, and only 1.6 turnovers. I think there's a very real chance. I, he's not going to shoot 55% for the entire year, but there is a very real chance that Mikkel Bridges is a top 20 or a top 24 if you want to extend it to the full second round fantasy asset basically throughout his now tenure with the Nets. And then he's also one of the most durable players in like basically NBA history at this point because no one plays in every ball game in the modern NBA except Mikael Bridges and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, Kevon Looney. He's been an Iron Man since he missed like two full years with quad tendinopathy. Kevon Looney is now the Iron Man uh, understudy. Anyway, um, just something to keep in the back of your head. Bridges might get drafted in the third round next year, and he might actually beat that. On the Charlotte side, they are just bad. They shot 37.5%, only got to the free throw line 15 times. At least they didn't turn it over all that much. Dennis Smith Jr. was better, as we figured he would be. Uh, Mark Williams only got 24 minutes. They did a little more P.J. Washington at the 5 in this ballgame, trying to spread things out a little because Nick Claxton was basically too hard for anyone on the interior to score against. And the problem, of course, right now is that Charlotte has no real point guard play in their starting unit, and that starting unit just keeps getting bludgeoned. I don't know why Dennis Smith Jr. isn't starting. Kelly Oubre should be coming off the bench and gunning when he comes into the ballgame, but instead they're like, oh yeah, Terry Rozier, you you play point. How's that going for him? Not great. Rozier now has been bad, and everybody else has gotten bad around him because they have no point guard in the starting five. It's great for losing, though, if that's what you're trying to do. Anyway, no real valuation changes on that team. I just would love to see them make a, a lineup adjustment that we can all kind of see from the outside, but the tank is real. Portland squeezes one out from the Orlando Magic, who are, by the way, not a doormat anymore. The Magic are 27-38. and 38. That's not bad. I mean, that's, uh, what, three and a half games behind the Blazers after this ball game. They're only two and a half games worse than Portland prior to it. Markel Fultz has been marvelous. Franz Wagner looked better. He'd been... Not great lately. Uh, no Gary Harris in this one. Jalen Sugg stepped into the starting five, had a pretty decent ball game. Uh, again, I'm going to play the, the I don't have the sound effect, but the Steve Stifler, I don't know, man. That sounds like a lot of work for Suggs and Cole Anthony and, and that ilk. Uh, so, you know, scout the board, find out when Orlando makes sense as a streaming opportunity, and it's really not until next week. Uh, so I would likely leave all of that stuff alone. As far as Portland goes, 
Matisse Thybul, only one defensive stat in this ballgame, but overall he was a plus eight. He's going to play big minutes right now. He had some boards. He did hit a three-pointer. I see no reason to back off the, the all-systems-go report on Thybul. Cam Reddish is also an interesting story. He had 16-5-3 with two steals and two three-pointers. I continue to question whether or not Reddish can keep this up. Because we've seen him before, and he's never really had a rounded fantasy game. It's always just been scoring. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, you know, if you go back through the sort of Cam Reddish history, he's never done anything in fantasy that wasn't just scoring. That's always been it. Now, all of a sudden here in Portland, we have like a two-week sample size where he's getting some steals, and he's getting three assists per ball game, and he's getting three and a half rebounds. And we all have to kind of look at it and say, okay, is this real or is this the mirage? And I think instinctively we have to assume that it's the mirage. Because there just really hasn't been a time for Reddish. You can go back to 2020, 2021. He was playing 29 minutes a game for Atlanta at that point. And he was 11 points, 4 boards, 1.3 assists. He did get 1.3 steals per game. So that's something that maybe does stick for him. You know, the steals per minute for Reddish has, has been okay. But he's never passed. He's never really rebounded all that much. So we're seeing these ball games in Portland where the scoring is up at 14. The assists are over 2. And the steals are decent. And we have to try to figure out what is and is not a real thing. Also, he's a 40% shooter for his career, and he's at 48% with the Blazers right now. So what is and what isn't real? Well, he's way over his head from two-point range. He's shooting 61% from two with Portland, 38% from three, which you could chalk that up to kind of a statistical anomaly. He's a decent foul shooter, so that's fine. We can assume that that is also a real thing with Reddish. But again, as we look at these box scores and 16, 5, and 3 with two steals and two three-pointers, is that a sustainable number? I think in the very short term, the answer is kinda. You know, four-ish rebounds, two-ish assists, more than one steal. That's something he can do with full starters minutes here. And right now, Portland's so beat up that Cam is playing 35 minutes a ballgame, which, honestly, in his career, we've never seen him get that number consistently. So would that be enough for one and a half steals per game, two three-pointers per game? Could that get him over four rebounds per game? Maybe. But the Blazers are waiting on Anthony Simons, who's going to completely detonate anything that Reddish is doing. And then I believe that Yusuf Nurkic coming back also strongly impacts anybody who's taking more shots than their usual share, which in this case is also Reddish. Blazers have a decent schedule this week. They go every other day. Um... Today's part of a back-to-back -back is actually the tail end of a 5-7 and seven that I don't think I even noticed on yesterday, or, uh, last week's card until it was too late. But if you wanted to roll Reddish on this long road trip for the Blazers as part of a six-game roadie, you could probably do it. Because I don't think we see Simons until at earliest the very end of this road trip. And then on the Roto side, I mean, we don't really know what the hell's going on with Nurk. He could possibly surface in there. But... You could, I mean, I guess on the Roto side, you could squeeze out a game or two. So Reddish gets a eh, kind of sort of for me. 
as I think the internet glitches out in the middle again. I'm having a rough day, everybody. Just bear with me here. My, my patience is so very thin at the moment, but we're going to push our way through. Damn it. So that's the Blazers. Utah lost at Oklahoma City. This is a big win for the Thunder. They got Shea back. He scored 38 points in 37 minutes. There was a report that surfaced the uh, Mark Degno that was saying we're going to like dial Shea back a little from now towards the end of the season. I don't believe it. Maybe they give him some back-to-backs off, but, I mean, he played more than enough minutes in this ballgame. 37 minutes. Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy, both were also very good. Again, I'll believe it when I see it on the Shea thing. They're not in tank mode. They beat another team that's fighting for that last playoff spot, and they beat them pretty roundly. Utah came back, made it a ball game late, but OKC was up this whole game. By the way, Chris Dunn vastly outplaying Taylor Horton Tucker right now. So THT, I am moving on. Chris Dunn, I'll roll with that until Colin Sexton shows up, which we don't really know when the hell that's going to be. No other changes to evaluations on the Utah side. Houston blew out San Antonio in a race to the bottom here. Uh, Alperin Shengun had his first good ball game in a while. Kevin Porter Jr. being back probably helped in that regard, just having someone who's a little bit more of a sure-handed uh, point guard type at the very least. Uh, Jalen Green, 31 points on 19 shots. I mean, this is obviously a get-fat game against a Spurs team that doesn't guard anybody. Uh, Spurs were also resting Keldon Johnson and Zach Collins and Trey Jones. Don't worry, guys. You're all going to be in the bottom three. Nobody's coming for you, Spurs and Rockets, 15 and 16 win teams. Yuck. It's bad basketball. But from a fantasy standpoint, at least we got some stuff out of it. Tara Eason played 30 minutes despite Jay Sean Tate getting 23 minutes in this game. That was a big deal. K.J. Martin stayed in the starting lineup, which we kind of figured would happen as the team got fully healthy. So now it becomes Houston's kind of choosing who gets those backup forward minutes. Is it Tate or is it Eason? And they're starting to lean finally towards Dari Eason, who I know this wasn't a great ball game for him with the missed free throws, but, I mean, he's a good rebounder. The steals have been really high. We've been waiting for this moment, so let's just try to enjoy it. Eason looks like he's locked into a decent role now, and we're going to exploit that as long as we can. Kevin Porter's a start. Jalen Green, if you know if you've ridden it this far, it's a start. Honestly, I think at this point you can probably just move on from Jabari Smith Jr. I do not have him on a team. I do not have any Kevin Porters. I do not have any Jalen Greens. Because going into the season, I didn't trust Jabari Smith to get this figured out fast enough. It's why I don't draft rookies ever. Jalen Green, I didn't trust the percentages to hold from late last year. Kevin Porter, I thought about. I figured he was going to be a little bit better than the others, and he has been a little bit better. But all these guys profile more on that kind of points league side, where Shengun is uh, right in the 75 range after this better ball game. He had fallen out of the top 80 on a really cold spell. Let's hope that this one kind of wakes him up a tad. But, I mean, this is like... That's the thing. Shengun, when he was going on that top 20 run, the world started to celebrate like it was a sure lock, and then it just... I mean, guys have ups and downs. And for Eason, he'll have them. He's a young player, but you just can't ignore that fantasy stat set. For the Spurs, I hate talking about this team right now because Zach Collins, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, their fantasy games can translate to 9-cat. Malachi Branham, not really... 
Jeremy Sohan, who sat this one out, not really. Even Keldon Johnson is a is a big question mark. Sorry, Keldon played in this game. He was just awful. I don't know why I said he rested. Uh, Kata Bates Jop, he's no. Devontae Graham, he had a couple big ball games in there, but you can't trust that. Charles Bassey, when he starts for Zach Collins, he he can profile as a nine-category guy. But everything with the Spurs right now is a moment-to-moment decision. So these guys are going to be a huge pain in the butt on the head-to-head side because they have a two-game week and a terrible schedule at that in their two-game week all the way at the end of this damn week they play. And then on top of that, who knows who's even in the lineup for those games? Brutal. Absolutely brutal to have to deal with the Spurs right now. Knicks beat the Celtics in a double overtime thriller. Emmanuel quickly had 38 in 55 minutes of this ball game. He was filling in for Jalen Brunson, so he did get the start. He rested three total minutes. And he's not dead this morning, which is also kind of of note. R.J. Barrett also played 50 minutes. Those are the the 50 club, those two dudes. Uh, Jason Tatum, 49. He came close. There's an expectation on the Celtics side that you might see some rest games mixed in. They're in a little bit of jeopardy here. Celtics a game and a half back of the Bucks, only three up on the Sixers, but they also realize that this is a long-term play. So I think you probably will see somebody rested on that club. The question is who? Uh, for Boston, they do play again today, so it's a back-to-back off to double overtime, and that would cut this down to just a two-game week for a number of those guys. Al Horford being the one that's almost a shoe-in to be rested. And that sucks, because uh, I have him on my 30-deep team, and I have Kevin Durant, who has a two-game week. I hate head-to-head so much. For the Knicks, Josh Hart played 40 minutes. I know his lines haven't been as great lately, but the minutes are there, so I wouldn't concern myself. And then Mandy quickly, yeah, obviously this is the big ball game, and this is going to sort of weight everything in the positive direction, but he's someone we've talked about as needing to be definitely rostered on the head-to-head side for a long time now, and perhaps pushing himself, certainly when Brutson's out, onto the Roto side as well. Robert Williams out for at least a week on the Boston side, so Al Horford has a window here. If Unfortunately, he probably won't play in the back-to-back, but he has a window. If Horford sits on this back-to-back, as I presume he will, that's probably enough of a reason to stream Grant Williams, although you might see, like, a Blake Griffin get the start, but you'll see Williams play, you know, 35 to 40 minutes, and he's just barely good enough now, if any of the other usage guys sit, then you could feel a little bit better about it. Milwaukee beat Washington on the road. No Chris Middleton for this game. It does seem like they like Pat Connaughton as the sort of the, the forward with Giannis these days. As long as Middleton's coming off the bench, he appears to be in front of Jay Crowder and Bobby Portis in the pecking order right now. So just keep that in mind. None of those guys is actually startable in any format outside of deeper leagues at the moment. Uh, and so I think you could probably drop Bobby Portis. We were going to give him like two more, three more ball games over the weekend, and it's been ugly. So go ahead and move on. For the Wizards, Daniel Gafford did not miss any time with his injury. Only got 24 minutes in this game, and that, of course, is the big fear, is will he get the full complement of minutes when Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma are healthy, and Kuz didn't even play in this ball game. Denny Avdia played better. So he got the bonus run. Corey Kispert got some bonus run. 
At least we know DeLon Wright's going to be good every ball game. Porzingis, DeLon, Bradley Beal, those guys are the obvious ones. Gafford's a hold to see how this whole thing shakes out. I'm not adding Denny Avia because this is his first good ball game in a while, although it could wake him up. So if you're kind of looking to ride a wave, that would be the time to do it. And then in the late ball game, the Clippers and Grizzlies kept exchanging 20-point leads. No one really seemed to want this ball game until the Clippers got a few key plays late. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, obviously huge. Mason Plumley, Evita Zubats, splitting center minutes almost right down the pipe in this one. And then Marcus Morris actually slid up and played some five as well. Russ had nine, five, and six, um, and four turnovers. I still don't fully understand what the Clippers are doing with this Russ stuff. But he played 34 damn minutes again. So if you were starting him in your points league or 8-cat or whatever the hell you were doing before, you can probably keep doing it. I don't want anything to do with him. I am worried about Zubats. That was the news I took away from this ball game. And no, I'm not adding Eric Gordon. He's not going to shoot 6-for-7 every day. What about the Grizzlies? Well, when Jaw's out, we know that Tyus Jones goes huge. And Tyus Jones went so huge in this ball game. Five threes and five steals. 25 points, 12 assists. He was a dynamo, and it wasn't enough. Xavier Tillman's a start until Steven Adams comes back, and then nothing else is really... Uh, well, Dylan Brooks was suspended for a game, so don't read too much into the Luke Kennard-David Roddy surge for a night. That will likely come to a conclusion when Brooks comes back. All right, we got to turn the clock back to Saturday. Most of the teams actually handled their business and played on Sunday. It was a weirdly large what was that 10 games sunday so we only have a third of the nba left to go through toronto no surprises there Jakob pertl cooled off a little he's not gonna be a first rounder all season long but he is gonna have a good rest of season this is why i told you not to panic on gary trent he came roaring back with 26 5 and 4 two steals and four three pointers and is this the start of a freddie van vliet heater oh those are fun when we can catch them Cleveland, Donovan Mitchell is questionable. If he doesn't play, you might get a little something out of Karis Levert. I still hate it, though. Detroit, they're all over the map. Sounds like Boyan Bogdanovich is going to miss another ball game. Uh, Killian Hayes is questionable with a left-hand injury. James Wiseman has knee soreness. Jalen Duran, I believe, is still listed as out. Uh, I haven't seen the latest report on Isaiah Stewart. But if all of these other big guys are out, Marvin Bagley's probably startable in Detroit's next ball game. It's a three-game week, so it's not a good path to traverse on the head-to-head side. But Roto, you could probably squeeze out some fantasy one-night stands in there. And then, what was the latest on Alec Burks? Did we get a report on him this morning? I think he's back. Burks would be an interesting one-night stand also. So that's your look ahead on Detroit, I guess, more than anything else. Uh, we talked Houston-San Antonio. That was... Houston swept them. I didn't even realize they played on two consecutive days. That's how lost in the in the muck I was. For Miami, Kevin Love is getting a day off. Uh, he's got a rib injury. Maybe that was why his minutes were down from 23 to 18 in the last ball game. So that'll mean a little bit more Caleb Martin, um, which is only notable... Because the Heat actually are in the middle of a pretty good scheduling run. They had a back-to-back last Friday, Saturday. They go four times the first six days this week. They have a 4-4 here this week and next week. And then they have a twoser, so you'd abandon ship after that. But if you really wanted to, you could hold the Heat uh, through next Monday or even next Wednesday before they've got a couple days off. Uh, there just are some options with this club. But that's more of a head-to-head look 
than anything else. For Atlanta, also a team with a really interesting streaming schedule. They go five times in eight days, uh, four times in six days, and then they're off for three, so that would be as far as you'd go. But like the Heat, the Hawks are in a positive scheduling zone right now. So, Roto side, what we're seeing here is that Okongwu does still need to be on rosters. John Collins is, I mean, he dealt with some foul stuff in this ballgame, but also his role is no longer secure. And they yanked him for Sadiq Bey in this one, who vastly outplayed him. Those two guys are probably just going to be passing stuff back and forth. And really, more than anything, it's probably going to be Bogdan Bogdanovich, Sadiq Bey, DeAndre Hunter, and John Collins that are all kind of fighting for effectively two slots worth of minutes. So it's four guys fighting for two slots of minutes. And when you roll it all out, it's probably going to end up a timeshare, and none of them is probably going to end up with decent fantasy value. But because the Hawks are in a decent scheduling spot, you could potentially play all four on the head-to-head side because four games and six nights of any of those dudes is decent enough. Roto, though, yuck. Philly, they put up a buck 33. DeAnthony Melton came off the bench again. He only got 24 minutes in this ballgame. Uh, because Jalen McDaniels had a better day. He played 20. George Niang had a better day. He played 28 minutes. So, uh, I mean, we're in a better spot now with Melton coming off the bench because he will have a little bit of responsibility in that second unit. Um, But there are still guys that can take his stuff away. His bench game bought him a couple more days on my roster, and now Tobias Harris and P.J. Tucker are each questionable for the Sixers. So I think you got to give Melton a little bit longer now given you might be missing two starters in their next ballgame. Minnesota, nothing really. Nikhil Alexander-Walker's played well for a couple ballgames, but I'm not going to deep dive that one. Sacramento, uh, De'Aaron Fox is dealing with some hamstring soreness. He's questionable for their next ballgame. Davion Mitchell filled in well last time, but previously the Kings had actually gravitated more towards Malik Monk when Fox was out which, again, makes this a very difficult decision if you were going to try to squeeze someone in there on the Roto side. Kings also have a bad schedule this week, so head-to-head, I'd probably just leave that alone. And now we play the always entertaining game of did anybody not play Saturday or Sunday? I think the answer was actually no this week, but there might have been one team. Who can it be now? Uh... No, I think, oh, Denver. Denver didn't play over the weekend. And the Pels? Two teams? Yeah, Denver and the Pelicans didn't play over the weekend as I scan a board as quickly as possible. For the Pels, uh, Josh Richardson missed that ball game with personal reasons, so Trey Murphy went back into the starting five. He's a start if Jay Rich misses any additional playing time or any additional ball games. And then as far as the Nuggets go, I mean, Look, they've been the same general fantasy story all year. If anybody's out, you play Bruce Brown. If anybody's healthy, you just sort of start the starters and uh, and roll with it from there. Okay, so that was the look back. Now, the look ahead, which is a little bit different here. And I want to remind everybody mid-show once again, two things very quickly. Number one, uh, we are recruiting... On the fantasy side, I know I've done some recruiting pitches for covering teams, and a bunch of you reached out. It seems like we might have a few new shows coming up here in the not-too-distant future. If you feel like you can handle it, it's a grind, 
I mean, there's a lot of days in a row where you got to be paying to fantasy, paying attention to fantasy sports, and you got to be ready to work blurb shifts. Hit me up, NBA, NFL, baseball, hockey. Reach out at Dan Bespris on Twitter. We are recruiting here at Sports Ethos right now. Folks that want to break into the industry, this is the place to do it. And also, of course, follow Ethos Fantasy BB, our baseball feed, because the draft guide is available now at just $5.99 a month. You get the Fantasy Pass, which has the baseball draft guide, and it has all of our NBA content in it, such as the streaming chart that YouTube viewers are going to see a small snapshot of while we pivot into... By the way, that's a reminder, everybody that is watching live, or if you went back and watched the replay, please do like and subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash sportsethos, or just, you know, click the little button on your screen. That's the easiest way to do it. Where is my schedule stream? There it is. Let's get that bad boy up on the on the page so everybody can see what we're working with here. Um, I want to shrink it a tad so that folks on YouTube are able to see just a small cross-section here. But if this is something that folks like, and we're going to be doing these types of uh, analyses on the podcast every day again for the better part of like the next four weeks, it's time to talk a little bit of long streaming. Now, if you guys were doing what we talked about last week, and again, I apologize to those watching. The internet has been weirdly funky today, but I think it's barely hanging on. Oh, also, if you're watching live, throw questions in the chat room. We're going to speed round those here in, in about the next five minutes or so. So if you were long streaming with us last week, and I know this is, again, kind of an easier said than done thing because many of us are trying to squeeze into the playoffs at the you know tail end of the regular season. So you had to do more of a short or medium stream just to get those extra couple of games last week. I understand. So let's approach this week from two different vantage points. One of them is the easy discussion. That easy discussion is, if you were long streaming last week, meaning you have already set yourself up for early parts of this week, don't make a move today. See, that's the easy one. That's an, actually, I think that that might be all I needed to say, actually, about that one. So if you were long streaming last week and you set yourself up to have a nicely front-loaded roster this week, don't make any moves today. Don't blow any moves. I know there are some teams where you're like, oh, I really want to get on those that have the four games in the first six nights this week. But you should have been, if we were doing it all together, you should have been on that uh, late last week. If you were unable to stream long stream last week, which, again, understandable, because for many of us, you're fighting to get in. Then you can use some moves today. But I would say to limit yourself, let's assume you only have a four-move week, because that's typically how it works for, there's a Yahoo default, I think that's pretty close to the ESPN default as well. You should only be using moves to long stream for six days or more today, if you have to use a move today. Meaning, you're looking for the teams, and again, live viewers can see what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. You're looking for teams that have four games in the first six days of this week, or five and eight, or six and nine, or something of that nature. Which, 
Atlanta, we've mentioned earlier in the show, has five games in eight days. They also have four and six. Their back-to-back is Friday, Saturday, by the way. You also have to kind of look ahead to make sure you're not getting into an overload day. Um, the Heat, we talked about earlier in the show, they've got four of the first six, and the Bucks, I think, are actually the only other team that has four games the first six days of this week. Among those three options, the one that profiles out the best is actually Milwaukee. The Bucks, as again, live viewers can see on the screen, have six games in nine days starting today. And actually seven and 11 if you really wanted to go the maximum distance on a Bucks stream. But I think I'd rather, I think you can pretty safely run away after the... Uh, the six and nine. The reason the Bucks are also interesting is that they rest Chris Middleton at the very least in all of their back-to-backs. So you know that in at least two of these six games, the other wing types, like a Pat Connaughton, for instance, is basically guaranteed a better chunk of minutes. Now, in the other four, it's a little bit of a dice roll. But you start to put the pieces together in your head, and you start to think about it as a... What can I get from this particular unit over these nine days? And there are some teams in there, like Minnesota has three games over those same nine days. Three! And I'm being reminded here that this stupid rescheduling game pushed Milwaukee back. So, disregard a bunch of that stuff on Milwaukee, but still quite relevant for... <laughs> you got five in that span instead of six, and sort of the same story for the Heat and the Hawks. I hate you, NBA reschedules. Uh, the Bucks have uh, their their play their game at the beginning of this week got eliminated, and so it actually works out to the back to back at the start of next week. So that's still there. It's just five over that span instead of six. Uh, so the Bucks now move to the bottom of that that pile we were talking about. Atlanta, uh, damn you, rescheduling from weather. Atlanta and Miami. Uh, are the two teams that have four of the first six this week. And um, so that's the direction you want to look. Now, in terms of the guys you're looking at on those clubs, so this is not me advocating for this, but, like, what if you have uh, Mike Conley on your fantasy team? Minnesota's in a two-game week this week. If you're in a dogfight, you could drop Conley and double your games played this week and even double them over nine days. It is almost impossible for anyone other than the absolute uppermost echelon of fantasy players, we're talking like top 20 guys, to beat out a waiver wire pickup in a 12-team league, probably even a 14-er, in half the number of games. It's almost impossible for the dude playing half to beat the guy with double. So you look at a team like Milwaukee, and look, I get it. Bobby Portis is ending up on a lot of waiver wires because he's been flat-out bad lately. But six games of Portis, or six games of Connaughton, is better than three games of almost anyone other than the top two to three rounds. Because it's just a math game at that point. Honestly, it's just a minutes game at that point. If Connaughton is only playing 20 to 22 minutes a ball game, but he's getting four games... That's 80 to 88 minutes. That's going to be the same 
as really three starters level games for the most part, because eh, a little less starters are probably starter level games is probably like 95 to 100 minutes and he'll be at 86, 88, something like that. And it's certainly more than two starters level games, which maxes out about 70. So you're getting almost 20 extra minutes by making a roster move to a guy that's really not that close to 12-team fantasy value, but from a long streaming standpoint, makes a crap ton of sense. Now, for Miami and Atlanta, the other teams that we had talked about as possibilities if you were going to utilize a roster move today, Atlanta does have some options there. You know, if Sadiq Bey got dropped or if John Collins got dropped. I'm seeing a lot of stuff about Collins ending up on waiver wires. Uh, those are guys where you could probably get enough out of them to warrant the four in six. I don't know that I would go the full five and seven or five and eight for those guys. I feel like that might be pushing it just because, again, over that span, you could probably get at least four games out of someone else. And if you get a, a good one, uh, then you, you work something else. Again, a lot of people are dropping John Collins because he's been bad lately. That's really interesting to me. Any of those four players we talked about earlier in the show, uh, as all getting into that same kind of weird little timeshare, those guys are distinct possibilities. For Miami now with Kevin Love out, uh, Caleb Martin becomes a possibility for those four and six. Gabe Vincent, because, I mean, he's been playing bad, but there's still no sign of Kyle Lowry, becomes interesting. I wouldn't venture as far as Victor Oladipo, because we don't know if he's going to play in the back-to-back. Um, but you do have a few options there if you want to start the the week by trying to lean into a few more uh, a few more games played. So let's go ahead and rearrange the Bucks schedule here before our very eyes so that no longer has that game there. It got pushed one day earlier. That was the game yesterday. We for rescheduling. I'm going to have to do some real cutting and pasting on the recorded side of this podcast to make this not sound completely insane. But they'll never know. Um, this is what happens when you get weird text messages in the middle of a show and then forget to switch the Excel spreadsheet you were working on. Um, so that's what you're looking at there. Again, my strong preference, if you're looking at streaming stuff, is don't do anything today, if at all possible. The couple of teams, I'll add this little corollary here, the couple of teams where you want to abandon ship today are Chicago, outside of the top, top, top guys there, which, you know, DeMar, Vooch, and Levine, they have a two-gamer and then a three-gamer, which is really rough, but then they're also off the first two days of this week. Uh, the other two gamers, the Clippers only have two this week. Minnesota has two, but their first one is tomorrow, so you could probably wait through that one if you have a fringy Timberwolf, and then a bandit ship where they have one game over five days following. Uh, Phoenix has two this week, but again, everybody on that team is superstar level, so you know the one it kind of impacts is Josh Okogie, and the Spurs have obviously the worst schedule of the week because they don't play until Friday. At least it gives you an opportunity to get back on Spurs later in the week if you want to. Um, but I don't like those guys might end up getting picked up if you drop them. I think you just kind of have to be okay with that on the San Antonio side. So to me, those are the spots where like if you had 
a Phoenix Sun, or if you had uh, not even a, a Timberwolf again, if you had a fringy Clipper or a fringy Bull, those are the ones to me where you really want to get out of it and get to it like an Atlanta Hawk or a Miami Heat where you can get two extra games with one roster move. And that brings us to the last thing I wanted to say on schedule streaming before we pivot into the YouTube live chat, which again, that'll be available only for those watching on the YouTube side. As you make these long streaming moves, you should be trying to up your games played over the span of the long stream by two games per move. You can't do it every time. It's, it's impossible to make that happen on every single time. But it's what we were talking about uh, earlier, and it's what you can talk about here with Atlanta and, versus Chicago or something like that. With one roster move, over six days, you add two games played. I'm going to highlight those days again for folks that are watching live on YouTube. Over from Monday through Saturday, you add two games. And then for either of those teams, you'd make a move on a Sunday. So again, for Atlanta, if you really wanted to, you could even extend it all the way to Monday. Versus Chicago, you're actually adding three games over eight days in that span, which, huge. But it's not always going to be so simple. So that's why when people are like, oh, I have this guy who has three games this week. So let's take, like, uh, Houston. They have three games today through Saturday. If you moved off a rocket to a hawk, you only had one game. To me, that's not worth it. Because if someone on your team gets hurt on, like, a Wednesday, and let's say you have a Hornet that gets hurt on their game on Tuesday, you could potentially lose three games the rest of the week. You need to have moves available to get off of injured players midweek. So using a move right now at the front end of the week to add one game to your seven-day ledger, that might actually end up costing you games at overall. Because if you get to Thursday, someone on your team get hurt that had two games the rest of the week, or whatever, or Friday even, and you don't have any roster moves left, and you lose two games because of the inability to replace that guy, because you used a move on Monday to gain one game, that actually ends up as a negative one net. Whereas if you just saved that move and replaced your injured guy late in the week and saved those two games played, you end up as a net positive. So hopefully that made some sense. I know it's like not the easiest thing to visualize, but please don't use more than two moves today. If And that's only if you weren't long streaming yesterday or over the weekend or from last week. Save at least two moves towards the end of the week in that scenario. And frankly, if you were long streaming, you shouldn't have to make any moves until at, as at earliest Wednesday or Thursday of this week. And that, I believe is our initial long streaming discussion as I screw up some of the tech stuff over on the YouTube side. Uh, and that's going to allow us then to pivot into the questions. So again, if you're listening on the recorded side, I hope you'll join us over on YouTube Live next time. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sportsethos.com presentation. Go get a baseball draft guide and a fantasy pass for just $5.99. It's so low. Come on, man. Plus, what if you're about to win a bunch of money on your fantasy NBA team? You should be, if we've been working hard all year, which I think we have been. Spend $6 of that on the baseball one, and let's just keep growing the bankroll. Sportsethos.com. Click on the premium tab. We'll see you over in the fantasy pass. So long for now.